0: You're in the right place for stories of self-discovery, gratitude, and connection. And to help you strengthen that connection to your own inner guidance, you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. The amazingness of my guests and the insight they bring keeps astounding me. You are in for another fantastic show today with Roderick Jefferson. The first conversation he and I had, I was scribbling notes like a mad woman. Today, you'll hear us talking about the importance of making someone else's day a little bit better. The first wake up call that woke him up temporarily and the adjustments he made after that. The other piece of the equation to ROI, how to be a better leader, and so much more. Roderick Jefferson's list of titles and experience is extensive and impressive. He's a rock star in the sales enablement world, and we didn't focus on any of that in this show. For the record, though, he's the vice president field enablement at Netscope with 20-plus years of field enablement leadership experience. He's also a keynote speaker in that space and the author of the Amazon best selling book, Sales Enablement 3.0, the Blueprint to Sales Enablement Excellence. He is currently an executive in residence with VentureScale and one of the founding members of the Sales Enablement Society. Roderick is also a member of several advisory boards. When he's not working, which he is much better at doing now, you'll find him perfecting the art of barbecuing or playing on his bocce court with his family. Today's episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit. The question many people are facing lately is, are you in a really bad place or a less bad place? Either way, it's bad. The great resignation isn't happening because people simply want more money. Studies show it's because they want to work in a culture that values them and thinks holistically about their happiness and well-being. This is where the Fuck Being Fine program for companies comes in. It's time to stop saying everything's fine when clearly everyone's hair is on fire. The program teaches business leaders and their teams how to stay calm and grounded no matter what's going on around them so they can focus better, respond thoughtfully instead of react impulsively, work more efficiently, and ultimately increase profitability. If this sounds like something that would be valuable in your work environment, message me at laurie or text me at 571-317-1463. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Roderick Jefferson, and I am so happy to have you on my show today. Thanks for joining us.
1: I'm absolutely honored and can't wait to jump in with you.
0: All right. Well, let's get right into it then and start with the the first question I always like to ask my guests, which is, what were the values and beliefs that you were raised with that contributed to you becoming who you have become in adulthood?
1: They are four Fs. They are faith, family, friends, and fun. And those have not shifted since I was a little kid.
0: Tell me more about how those were instilled in you.
1: it was instilled by my mom and 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 you'll probably hear me quote her quite a few times throughout this so buckle in and prepare this is a woman that and i always believed and said that if my mom didn't like someone they're just not liked you must have to do some really crazy stuff my mom's one of those people that can find the best in anyone and her faith was always foundational of everything and then I was always taught that no matter what happens inside of your family, you're stuck with them. You may not like them, (laughs) but you still are stuck with having them. So you've got to work through things and figure out how to work things out. And then the friendship thing, I've always been a people person. So it's always been about having a very small, tight network of folks. But these are people that I trust intrinsically and will share everything under the sun, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And I expect the same thing back from them. And just as I've grown throughout life, if I can't have fun with with something with it, then as you say, your, your four-letter word, four word, forget it.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. I, I feel like you have, you have that same ability of making people feel comfortable wherever you go. Thank you for that.
1: I I try to. My, My goal has always been as a person and then secondarily as an executive and a leader that I've always believed that I'm successful, one, by making more people successful. The second piece is I've never believed that I'm important because I wrap my arms around things. I think we're all extremely important because we open up and allow to share and be your authentic self, right? And mm. you know, the last piece is if I can help someone's journey be just a little bit better, maybe not easier, but a little better, and I can give one person a smile, even if it's the person that is serving me at a restaurant. And the people that are invisible, the mail carriers, the folks that are doing the garbage cans, If I can give those folks a smile, that may be the only smile that someone gives them all day or shows them that they're not invisible.
0: Yes, that's so important. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in in my first business and in the business I run now about that whole uh, showing people that they have value.
1: That's not just important, it's imperative these days. There has never been a time, I think, in the history of the world where empathy and humanity and truly connecting with people. And I'm not talking about getting connections on social media, because one, I think social media has made all of us less sociable. (laughs) But I believe that making true connections, I can put my fingers on probably 15 people from high school that I'm still connected with. And that was a long time ago. And so to still be connected with those folks and have them in your inner circle, and to have been through the ups, downs, the ins, the outs, the divorces, the wins, the babies, the deaths, All those things speak volume to how important people
0: are. You and I are on the same page there. And I have the same, the connections with some of my friends since we were babies in a crib and through school and through (laughs) university and everything. Yeah, And that's, not everybody has the ability to maintain those connections. I think a lot of people want to, but they they need somebody like you or me to (laughs) be that catalyst.
1: Oh, I agree. There, there has to be one person. You're right. There has to be one person that constantly kind of herds the fleas, if you will, to get everybody back together and on the same page. And I've always believed that um, we should get together at times other than funerals, because after every funeral, what do we all say? You know what? Let's not be the next time we get together at the next funeral. And then what do you know? Yeah. We're at another funeral together. So I try and reach out and go. It's not a funeral, but we should probably get together before there's another funeral so that we can talk about not getting together only at a funeral.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's bring the conversation back since the show is called Fine is a Four-Letter Word to the mm-hmm. first experience you had. So you said in the, in the intro part that one of your key beliefs and values is fun. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you, no, I want you to tell the story first. And then I'm going to ask you the question. Um, the first time everything was fine in your life, but it really wasn't fine. That, that story of um, in, in 2000.
1: Ah, uh, in, in 2000 where I thought everything was good and then I suddenly one day, so in, in, a quick story. We all check our, our laptops on Sunday nights getting ready for the, previous, the next week. Well, I was checking my laptop, checking my email and I woke up face down on my laptop, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong here. And I just didn't feel right. And it felt like vertigo. I was a bit off, and my balance was off. I asked my wife to take me to um, the emergency to go get checked. Well, as I was bending over to tie my shoes, the lights went out. Literally, my brain shut off Mm -hmm. because of an enormous amount of stress and being overloaded and just the, the amount of things that were going on professionally and personally. And... Fast forward, I'm taking it to the hospital, and I wake up, and it's literally, so this was November 2000. I woke up in February. I had been in a coma, in a medically induced coma for this long. They had me on Vicodin, Valium, Percocet, Demerol, and Alago all concurrently, because my brain began to swell. And we were just about a week away from going in to do um, a, a cut into my brain to relieve the swelling of my brain. And even to this day on my right hand side of my head, right behind my ear, I've got a lump because my brain had begun to squeeze and it was pushing against the inside of my cranium. And what I learned was um, there is no job that's worth your life. And I thought everything's fine because you know what? We all walked around with a badge of courage. Oh, I worked 60 hours or 70 hours or I just do whatever it takes, quote unquote, to get it done. Well, this is one of those times where I, I look back on it and go, I saw the warning signs, but I didn't listen. My body told me, you need to slow down. So I have come to the conclusion, if you do not slow down, your body will find a way to shut it down. And you don't want your mind to turn off.
0: Every time. Yeah. So now that brings me to the question of, were you having fun in that time in your life?
1: Oh, I was having, oh, I was in a great deal of, t- of fun. Okay. I was loving it. I was flying around the world. Uh, you know, we had done a tour and we had done... London, Paris, Geneva, Sao Paulo, Toronto, Beijing, Hong Kong, and and Sydney, all in eighteen months. And at that time, that was my idea of fun. I was going to see the world, and I was doing mm-hmm. it on corporate jets, and we were on corporate helicopters, and and you know it was amazing. But I, what I didn't realize was um, subconsciously I was loving the travel, but I was missing out on the life of my family. And one day it just suddenly hit me, and I literally broke down into tears. I was like, I'm sitting in this beautiful. Palace here in con Monte Carlo, and I have nothing but pictures to show my family. My kids are growing up. I come home sparingly to you know get my dry cleaning changed and catch up with my family and try and help my kids with their homework, and then before I knew it, I was gone again. So one, my wife said i didn't she didn't sign up to be a single mom. Mm-hmm. And secondly, there was an enormous amount of resentment in both of my kids because Dad's not there for all of the thing, the activities at school. He's not there to, t- to coach them in sports. He's not there to help with the homework. And then I just thought, you know what? This is just not worth it. And so I changed companies later. And I had settled down. And then what do you know? I stepped right back into that same routine. Because of my position, I stepped right back in the same thing. And it just started that same problem all over again.
0: Were you so you were seeing the same kind of warning signs, or you just
1: oh, well, I, w- I, I was seeing the warning signs that I was also seeing that I was overstretched my brain and myself physically, but this time I actually stopped it and slowed it down, okay, and started meditation and made sure that I was doing. Um, you know, date nights with my wife and I had specific time with each of the kids that I was spending and I was coaching them in athletics again and going to their activities. But I wasn't always present as mm. a problem. I was there physically. But hey, dad, can you get off your phone? Hey, dad, I know you've got to take these calls. Hey, dad, can you stay in for the entire basketball game instead of leaving at halftime so you have to go and do work stuff? And, you know, it's something that I don't wish that on anyone. So for those that have those small kids, my kids are older now. They're 32 and 24. I wish I could go back to that time. But you don't get a do-over in life. You don't get Mm -hmm. the the restart button. And looking at this in hindsight, and I heard them both say these exact words, Dad, we would have wished that we had less money and a different lifestyle. We've given that up to have you here. We wanted you. It wasn't the lifestyle. We wanted you present.
0: Mm Mm-hmm hmm. I, I was just saw something earlier today about it, it was an article about gratitude and how having a gratitude journal became just another thing on this person's checklist. And it sounds like so you were doing the things, the meditating, the, um, you know, going to the games. And, but it was all just a checklist like another thing on the to-do list, and it wasn't really a feeling of it so much as a task.
1: Oh, it was definitely a task list. Even with the journal, it was, oh man, I've got to make sure it's eight o'clock. I have to go write in my journal and I have to come up with my three to four things. And that's not really living. That's just existing. Right. And the more you exist, the more you start to lose who you are. And I realized that I had allowed what I do in my job to overcome and and overtake who I was, which was friend, husband, father, brother, et cetera. Instead, I'd become that title or that ambassador of that logo or company that I was tied to at the time.
0: How do you advise people now who are in those in that that career you know ladder on that career ladder? I mean, would you have listened if you had, if you from now came back to you 20 years ago, would you have listened?
1: I think I would have because if I would have been given examples of what was going to happen if I didn't listen, right? So here, here's an example. We always talk about ROI, right? The return on investment. Mm-hmm. But I've realized in, in wisdom from age and stage, that's only half the equation. There's another piece. There's something called COI now, which is the cost of an action. And that is, what happens if you do nothing to change what you're doing right now? What is that going to turn into? And I didn't realize that what I was doing was essentially, I was like a wave on a rock. I was chipping away with every wave. It was destabilizing my stability of life, right? And, and so if they could have shown me that experience. Yeah, I would have listened. And how would, what do I would tell folks now? First and foremost... Never allow what you do to overtake who you are because it's very easy to do and it happens before you realize it, especially as you're fighting to ladder climb in your career and you're trying to advance financially, etc. The other piece is, um, <laughs> and this was a hard one to learn, corporate America, entrepreneurship also, is here to make a profit. It's not here to make friends. We are all interchangeable parts. I have been released three times in my career, not for performance, but because of reorgs. And you know what? Even as I was talking about earlier, the company I was in where I was flying around the world with the CEO, we're on the corporate jet. I got riffed. I got re- released and he didn't even realize I was gone Right? Wow. until it was time for the next time. And it was time for us to fly. And unbeknownst to him, all of my passwords at the time were something that only meant something to me. So he didn't even know how to get into his own laptop for presenters because I, I I ran with his presenter laptop and he called me on a Friday. Fortunately I was back on um payroll by Monday and we were on a plane by Tuesday again. But you know, my mom used to say something and, and she'd ask me all the time, Do you know when your CEO is on vacation? And I said, No, I have no idea. It just kinda comes and goes. She said, Yeah, but think about this. If the garbage man or the plumber doesn't come for one to two weeks You'd notice that, wouldn't you? And I said, yeah. She goes, now think about who and what is really important in life. Don't let that job become who you are and override who you are. Just allow it to be what you do. It is something that provides from a very lovely lifestyle for my family, but it's no longer what I do or who I am even.
0: When did you come to this philosophy?
1: Um, This was early 2000s and then i as we as we all do lori i forgot about how tough that was and then it happened all over again
0: recently before we get to that i want to ask you were you how were you incorporating this philosophy into your leadership of teams like were you encouraging your your people to take vacations to Absolutely. do these you know, practice gratitude, do these things?
1: Uh, are you saying today or no, throughout my be, career?
0: Between 2000 and, yeah, throughout your career.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. The, the answer is, is absolutely. And there were times where I would go to my leaders or folks on my team and say, you know what, I can see that you're running red line. It's real hot right now for you. And I can see that you need a break. Take a couple of days off. Take a long weekend whatever it may be, and I also instituted something in that time period with my team that I called Off the Grid, and that was if you need to go take care of a dentist or your child has something going, a play in the middle of the day or you need to go and, you know, one guy, had to, he was selling his home and he needed to go sign paperwork. I said don't take time off. Allow the rest of the team to communicate with us and let us know that you're going to be out that way I can always cover. The other thing I had to do was, you can't just say it. You have to model it. So I started doing those things myself. Okay. I needed to go take care of things because what's important to your manager or your leader is imperative to you. And they're not going to listen to what I say. They're going to do what I model for them.
0: Exactly. Just right. I mean, I don't want to necessarily compare team members to children, but it's the it is this it is similar you can say all you want and if you're not actually doing it then they don't really think you think it's okay
1: i agree and they're going to follow what you do and to your point it's 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 a lot like children because and i i've always believed that i'm not building a team i'm not building an org i'm building a family when i start building out my even my professional and i treat them as such and so showing them this thing now one, it means something because it's actionable. Even with the folks that are now part of my leadership tree that have gone from individual contributor all the way up to VP and executive, they now take that uh, off the grid with them and <laughs> as a part of their leadership team and, and other things that you know we've shared and they've seen me do. So it's amazing. And it's more like children than you realize. Mm-hmm. And that is, there's an old adage that goes this way, little, um, little pictures have big eyes. And what that means is everything that they see is watching you all the time, even when you don't even realize you're being watched.
0: Mm -hmm. Were you supported by your uh, superiors in this philosophy?
1: I never shared it. Okay, It was something that I used with my team. I didn't go and say, hey, I've got this off the grid thing. No, but what I did do is let them know that when my people have too much on their plate is when I step in to kind of intervene and I'll say, XYZ person is kid can, just cannot take on another task, and if we're going to give him or her something, then we've got to agree as leaders what are we going to take off of their plate because we can't just keep piling things on.
0: That's not common in corporate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I try, my I mean, I've heard so many not to be typical, not to be common. I've heard so many stories from, from people and from connections on LinkedIn, from clients, wherever, uh, about how that's not the environment in a lot of companies. It's push them as hard as you can to get the most out of them in terms of productivity and you know, accountability and all of that. And it's astounding to me how managers don't realize how counterproductive that is.
1: Yeah, you know, again, it goes back to my adage of corporate America is here to make a profit, not friends. They, I'll say they look out for people. Do they care about people? Uh, that's debatable. And we all talk about culture, culture, culture. To me, my definition of culture is what happens when no one is watching. That's really cool, culture. It's not what you put on your website. It's not what you put on your marketing slicks and, and fluff. It's what people really say on things like Glassdoor when they leave, Mm -hmm. because they're going to tell you really what that culture was. They may not say it there because obviously they would like to maintain their employing. Um, But when you go and look at people that have left and they go and they give feedback on social media, oh, they're going to tell you the truth, whether it was amazing or if it's just a lot of fluff.
0: Yeah. The, Part that you said about corporate America only caring about profit, though, if you really dig into it, doing the things that you talked about and that I talk about in my program that I take to corporate, the Fuck Being Fine program, that's what enables people to be more profitable because (laughs) they are uh, in a better, I was going to say mindset, but it's not just about mindset. It's physical, mental, psychological wellness all the way through. Uh, And that's what, you know, so when they can be more focused and more productive, more effective, then they can be more productive and ultimately more profitable. So it seems very short-sighted, but that's it.
1: It is. It's almost oxymoronic. If we really thought about things, if we gave people more time to do things, you'd probably get more out of them just because they're happier in their work. But that doesn't seem to be the same today as as it was years ago. And so what I, I firmly believe is if you aren't an advocate on your own behalf, no one else is going to be because no one has the vested interest in you, your health or your performance or your upward mobility as you do. So you have to advocate for yourself. When you get to a point where you're just completely burnt like toast, don't be afraid to say that. When you say, hey, I need a mental health day or I need to do something different or you need to go at lunch and go outside and take a walk and change the the scenery or go and meditate for 10, 15 minutes. Put that as a part of your calendar because if it's not on your calendar, like most of us, it doesn't exist. So if you say, I'm going to go walk at noon every day or every other day, then you know what? Block that out because two reasons. One – it's important and you won't do it for yourself. And second, because we work in a, a global world, 12 o'clock your time could be 3 o'clock somewhere else or any other time. So folks will drop a meeting in in that time that's not blocked out. Block mm-hmm. time out for yourself. And then I always do something on Fridays. I, I do a um, – I call my introspective moment every Friday. 4.30 on my calendar like clockwork. I sit down. And what I do is I write, literally write up a list of what did I do this week that made a difference. And I don't mean just a, a laundry list. And it always has to have one to two personal things. Up. It's not just about what did I do for the company. Now I'm at a point where I'm saying, okay, where did, how did I impact someone? Did I make someone smile? Did I reach out to an old friend that I hadn't talked to in years, right? Um, was I able to listen to my kids in a problem they had? Did I go and grab flowers for my wife? Whatever the case may be. But if we don't do that every week, it just becomes part of the background of what you're doing. It's just kind of, this is what I do, right? Instead, Mm -hmm. stop for a moment, appreciate and thank yourself for what you were able to accomplish this particular week
0: recognizing your wins is becoming one of the themes of this season of fine is a four letter word. And that's exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Absolutely. Yeah. No Absolutely. matter what size, You're right. They don't have to be monumental wins. They can yeah. be any size and it's so important to Absolutely. recognize them. And one of the things that, that I've learned is that when you, celebrate your wins, again, regardless of size, the more wins you get to celebrate. It's like when you are looking at the world with gratitude, you see more to be grateful for.
1: You do. And it starts to build an attitude of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is it's like mathematics. It all compounds on top of each other. First, you, you learn the basic arithmetic, then it's algebra, then it's geometry, then trigonometry, then it's statistics. Well, you can't just go straight to stats. Stats are the, the, and I would say to align that to life, those are the big rocks that you actually move this week. To get to a big rock, you've got boulders, then you've got small pebbles. And each of those, even the pebble creates the largest of ripples. So, stop for a moment and don't always think that it has to be this big rock that I did. Sometimes it can just be the pebble that I dropped in water, and that ripple reverberated and it created an attitude of gratitude for me. Love it. And for someone around me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing about gratitude, too, is that it affects you, it affects the person you're delivering gratitude for, and Mm -hmm. it affects the person who's now hearing this story about it.
1: Yes, absolutely. I have a friend, Tamara Schmidt, and that is, that's her statement. Attitude of gratitude. And, and I learned from her that it's not just kind of a cool thing to say. It literally is contagious. Just like negativity, so is positivity. And, and it propagate, in both cases, it propagates just as fast so why not add some? There's enough negativity in the world. Why not add something positive to start that ripple reverberating?
0: Now, you have an exclamation point to put on this whole attitude of gratitude and feeling of, of um, taking, taking some time, some personal time. How did you end up in the situation you ended up in, in, in this past October? Tell us about that.
1: Um, Last October, I was, again, going through that overburdening uh, of stress as well as go, go, go mentality. And October 28th of last year, I had a massive stroke Mm. and I didn't even realize anything was wrong. I was feeling, and I do mean fine, quote unquote normal. Um, I was doing my job on the 27th. I'm a normal everyday guy. On October 8th, my brain shut down again. And this time, it shut down in a different way. It was a massive stroke. That A uh, cl- blood clot floated up to my brain, and it literally shut me down. I had a stroke while I was asleep. And 98% of people never wake up from a sleep stroke. Yeah, that's I am so part of scary. the 2% club and proud to be there. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. I went through speech therapy. I had a terrible, terrible stutter. That became stutter that became stammer and now once again thank god my um speech pattern and articulation is back and it was all due to and i had no idea but it was actually due to congestive heart failure i didn't even know that i had a bad heart <laughs> i mean i knew i had a bad heart but not as bad as it was
0: mm-hmm. my heart
1: was only pumping at 23 percent oh my 20 like you get cardiac arrest and you die and i didn't know i was that close to death's door wow Talk about something that'll change your mindset and your outlook. Yeah.
0: yeah. But then when the doctor told you what he said, he was, because I thought this was so funny when you told me this story of, um, after you went through that and he told you how long it was going to take to recover. Cause you had that recording. I don't know if you have it with you now, but
1: I, I have the recording. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the doctor said, that it would take me six weeks to get back, and my response was just out of gut reaction because that's who I am. I said, "No, more like four weeks." <laughs> <laughs> and and you know it's funny, Lori, because I I listened to that thing over and over, just again that attitude of gratitude on my Fridays. And since I had that statement on the um, on the recording, I don't have that mindset anymore. If it takes six months, if it takes two years they explained to me it would be 18 months to two years to get back to my full mental capacity. I'd say I'm probably about 85% now. I I am incredibly blessed to be where I am. But if it takes that long, now I'm about the journey. I'm not about just the outcome and the end anymore. Mm -hmm. Life has shifted immensely since the stroke. You know, you lose parts of your body. You lose the ability to speak. You become dependent on everyone around you. Even for the smallest of things, like making it to the bathroom, it will change you in, astronomically. And, and personally, I'll say this. If I didn't have faith going into this, I would certainly have a different level of it right now. Because mm-hmm. to know that I'm part of only 2% of people in the world that are still alive after a sleep stroke, man, I've got to believe there's a reason I'm still here. And the greater power has something in mind for me.
0: Yes. Yes. Have you seen any instance of what that might be? Are you still waiting to see clearly on that?
1: No, I think I'm starting to see bits and pieces of it. It's starting to come together. Um, and I'm going to hold off on it, but the answer to you is absolutely. And I've shifted some things that I used to do before I don't do anymore. And I'm also looking at life differently and I'm on the verge of putting together, um, a, a keynote speech, and TEDx talk, as well as a workshop to help others. And I call it the 2% mentality, right? going back to my 2% club, mm-hmm. and how that 2% mentality will either make you if you own it or will break you if you allow everything and, everything and everyone around you to own the direction you're going.
0: Mm. I love it. You have dropped so many wisdom, nuggets of wisdom here. I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to have you on the show and to talk about these important concepts and topics that you you covered. Before we go, what is the song that you listen to when you need that extra boost of energy, something that hypes you up? What's your song? It's
1: so funny you ask that, because as a keynote speaker, we all have our Uh, walk-on song, right? Yep. And and I certainly have mine, and it is Brush Your Shoulders Off by Jay-Z. It's just something that reminds me that I've got to get this off my shoulders so that I can share everything that I've got, the best of best, for my audience. And if I don't feel like I'm at peak performance when I touch that stage, there's no way that I can motivate them to get to that point
0: hmm Awesome. So speaking of which, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you to have you come and present or to continue the conversation we've had today, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: I always say, if you can't find me on social media, you're not trying to find me. <laughs> okay. And, and here's why. Um, you can find me, hit me an in email, info at roderickjefferson.com. You could um, find me on Instagram at Roderick underscore J underscore associates. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at the voice of Rod, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Roderick Jefferson.
0: Which is where I found you on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for joining me today on find is a four letter word. Were you making note of all the nuggets of wisdom he shared? I'm telling you, every week I struggle with pulling out only a few key points. Let's see what we've got from this one. Number one, habits are hard to break. You have to be very intentional about changing them. Even with the incentive of having been in a coma for three months, added to the guilt over not seeing his kids growing up and essentially leaving his wife to raise them alone, Roderick still struggled to overcome the routine of jet-setting around the world and giving all his time and energy to his job. What he discovered was your kids, your partner, your friends, they want you in the present moment. That's what they want the most, more than money and more than prestige. There's no do-over in life. Number two, when you're living your life simply to check all the boxes on the to-do list, Even if one of those boxes is right in my gratitude journal, that's not living, that's existing. And it's a symptom that you've allowed what you do in the world to overtake who you are. This is an easy trap to fall into and it happens before you realize it. Keep in mind that your job is something that provides for your lifestyle, but it's not who you are. Number three, I love this one so, so much. There's ROI, which is return on investment. And then there's COI, cost of inaction. What happens if you do nothing to change what you're doing right now? Where will that lead you? And is that somewhere you'd want to end up? Number four, as a leader, you have to model the behavior you want to establish. Whether you're talking about kids or employees, you can't say do as I say, not as I do. They are watching you. And if you're not walking the talk, they're not going to either. Number five, you are responsible for advocating for yourself. No one else is as interested in your health, your performance, or your upward mobility as you are. So when you reach a point where you're burned out, Don't be afraid to speak up and say, I need a mental health day, or I need to go for a walk. I love Roderick's practice of taking his introspective moment on Friday afternoons to reflect on how he impacted someone that week. This is related to Tony Jalen's practice of asking himself daily, how can I serve someone today? How can I make a difference today? If you haven't listened to Tony's episode, that was season two, episode nine, called Complacency is a Disease. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Find is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend or a colleague. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other people like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. You can join me on social too. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. Lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. And if no one's told you this week, I'm proud of you. Take good care.